Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show, President's Day edition. I appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll through the Monday edition of the program here. We got a lot of different stories to dive into, uh, but I want to start right off the top here um, on Joe Biden is in Ukraine on President's Day. Now, um, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't really care about Ukraine's border. I don't. I don't believe that Russia has anywhere near the manpower to invade anywhere else. Uh, I, we're coming up on a year of this war. Uh, I believe that we're basically in a quagmire where these guys are going to be shooting back and forth at each other for years and years to come. Here's what I care about. I care about the United States border. And I am deeply troubled by the fact that Joe Biden cares more about Ukraine's border than he does the United States border. By the fact that we have spent $100 billion on Ukraine, providing them all the resources they could possibly need to defend their border, while we've done virtually nothing to stop 5 million people pouring across our own southern border. We probably could have completely locked down our southern border and had some form of security there for a fraction of the $100 billion that we have given to Ukraine. I also find it absurd and ridiculous that Biden is spending President's Day in Ukraine with a fake uh, audio uh, uh, of a missile warning going off in the background while he's laying down wreaths. And I just want to point out that if Americans had lost 60,000 soldiers and 200,000 injured, uh, like has happened in Ukraine, that we would be blaming uh, all of our adversaries who had done that for us, to us, regardless of whether they actually pulled the trigger. If you hand a guy a loaded gun and tell him to shoot someone, you're partly involved in that process too. Given how much we're giving to Ukraine, guns, uh, planes soon, I think, tanks, anti-aircraft fire, all of this. What percentage of the 60,000 Russians that are dead and the 200,000 that are wounded are directly related to American support for Ukraine? The reason why I raise that as an issue is every single day it feels like we are stepping closer and closer to a direct on-the-ground involvement in Ukraine, and I'm not in favor of that. So when Joe Biden is more concerned about Ukraine than he is what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, when he's more concerned about the Ukraine borders than he is the entire southern border and now our northern border, I got major issues with that, particularly because I think that every decision Joe Biden makes is the wrong one. I I hate to have to reach this level, but Joe Biden is the decider-in-chief. He is a really poor decider. His brain doesn't work that well because I believe of his age. He's probably 20 years. You want to talk about past his prime. 
Joe Biden is probably 20 years past his prime as a politician, and I don't think he was ever that good of a politician in the first place. But Joe Biden at 80 is a pale approximation of Joe Biden at 60. And this idea, which we know that he's shooting down evidently 10 and $12 spy, uh, 10 and $12 uh, fun balloons that are hobbyists, it now appears, as I talked about on Friday's show, uh, these Pico balloons and overreacting because of how poorly he handled the Chinese spy balloon. Here's what I care about. I don't want Chinese spy balloons floating across our entire airspace. Uh, I also do not want 5 million illegal immigrants pouring into our country. I care about America right now. We've got a lot of issues in this country. I don't want to spend $100 billion on Ukraine. I think Biden's completely wrong uh, on virtually everything that he has done in this country. Uh, And I think that worse than that, when he's focused on foreign issues, he's actually making American domestic issues more and more of an issue. Uh, CNN. Don Lemon was out on Monday. We'll see if he returns on Tuesday. I played a clip, which I hope when they share this segment, they can clip in with it, of Don Lemon from 2013 talking about personal responsibility in the black community. And what I would submit to you is that Don Lemon is a perfect example of someone that doesn't have an ounce of actual intellectual consistency. You can agree or disagree with me on virtually any topic. I'm writing my new book now. It's supposed to be out September 12th, I believe. Um, And in that new book, I actually went back and tracked down the very first thing that I ever had published in any newspaper. It was when I was a freshman at George Washington University writing in the GW Hatchet about the importance of the First Amendment And it was an article ridiculing the idea that it was controversial that an administrator had used the phrase rule of thumb. I was 18 years old. I was a true freshman. And 25 years later, it's amazing to me that the same battles over speech are still being fought that I was writing about when I was 18 years old and nobody had any idea who I am. Uh, The number one criticism of me if you actually want to criticize me, is that I've been consistent for huge portions of my career, almost all of them, in the idea of what matters most to me, which is a robust marketplace of ideas. Lots of jokes, anti-woke, in the belief that all of us should be able to say exactly what we think. And what's interesting is few people in media are actually consistent in that respect. And I thought that clip from Don Lemon was interesting because it shows how many people in media have no actual core belief. They just float along in whatever direction the world takes them. And I've been using this analogy for a long time. Every opinion that I've ever had in the public arena, I've thought of as the equivalent of a judicial opinion. And that's important because if you're a judge who writes an opinion, Every single thing that you put out there associated with that opinion has to remain as the law of the land and fit within whichever additional precedent you layer on top of it. You can't just go out there willy-nilly grabbing things and arguing in favor of them. There has to be a larger precedent in play 
And it seems to me there are very few people who are able to do that in media. I think partly because a lot of people in media are not that smart. And I would put Don Lemon in that category. But also they're afraid of being outside the prevailing wind currents because that's how you end up being targeted and that's how you end up losing your job. The number one rule for most people in media is self-preservation. That's never been my number one rule. For better or worse, my number one rule has always been I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, good or bad. And most people are not willing to do that because they're concerned about their job security. If they do, I would just encourage you, go back through everything I've ever written, go back through everything I've ever said, and going all the way back to when I was 18 years old, you will see that thread in support of the marketplace of ideas, which is why, also, I abhor cancel culture. I don't think Don Lemon should get fired. If you go back and listen to my interview on CNN six years ago that got me banned on that network, what I was discussing then was that I only believe in two things, the First Amendment and boobs, uh, and it threw CNN into an uproar, and I'm still banned from appearing on CNN. Only person in America banned from appearing on CNN and on ESPN. And what is it that I say that's so controversial? That everyone should be able to say exactly what they think and that we should debate for better or worse based on those opinions. That's like the very essence of American democracy. It's foundational as it pertains to the First Amendment, and yet it's considered to be super controversial. That's why I love, when you see this in the book, uh, the very first thing that I ever had published at the age of 18 years old uh, was that piece uh, in the GW Hatchet that I think all of you will uh, enjoy for sure. Um, but Don Lemon benched right now. I don't want him fired. We'll see whether he's able to return or not. want to give credit to Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher came out and discussed something we've been talking about on the radio show for years now, which is the power of natural immunity. I've had COVID twice. I recovered from COVID twice. I may have had COVID more than twice. Um, and I've had zero issues with COVID both times. Both times, in fact, for me, COVID was not as bad as a typical bad cold would be. Um, and uh, I've been looking at the data. People say, oh, you're not a scientist. You're not a doctor. How do you know what's best? Well, natural immunity tends to be uh, the most valuable immunity and the most lasting. That's why you don't get the same virus over and over and over again because your body learns how to fight it. So I said, I'm not going to get the COVID shot as a result. I'm not going to get the COVID shot for my young kids because they've likely already had COVID too. There's no protection that's allowed for it. But Bill Maher hit on this natural immunity study, and then he hit on something that I think is really significant, which we've also been talking about for the past couple of years uh, at OutKick and certainly on Clay and Buck and on my previous radio show, OutKick, the coverage as well. And that was this fact. Uh, the natural immunity is important. But so too was understanding what was likely to happen if you ever got COVID. Over 50% of far left-wing zealots believed that if they got COVID, they would end up being hospitalized. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Clay Travis, and I'll kick the show. is going to keep right on rolling. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The biggest story to me of COVID is how few people were able to assess risk. And also on top of that, how few people were able to in any way rationalize normal human behavior, which is accepting risk and acting as an adult no matter what. And also the fact that there have been no consequences for all of the people who spread what I called the COVID fear porn most aggressively. And the fact that there have been no consequences is actually, to me, the true threat to democracy. It's not January 6th. It's not people protesting because of things that they believe in or don't believe in. It's when there are people in positions of power, overwhelmingly Democrats, who don't bear any consequences for the failure of their leadership. To my knowledge, not one single person hardly has lost their job because of COVID, because of school lockdowns. In fact, people have tended to be rewarded for being zealots. And I was talking about this earlier on the program. I was out in downtown Nashville on Saturday night. Um, I was actually out Friday and Saturday night, which is a rarity for me. I went to the Adam Sandler comedy performance on Friday. It was fantastic. And then I went on uh, Saturday, went out to grab some drinks with friends. And I was out in a bar in downtown Nashville, and I couldn't believe it. There was a woman to my left at a table near where I was wearing a mask in a bar drinking tequila. (laughs) And she wasn't trying to rob the place. Uh, And I, I sat there, and I was just thinking to myself, I was in a tequila bar in Nashville. If you are out in 2023, and you are drinking tequila in a tequila bar, and you are wearing a mask that you are raising and lowering as you are drinking alcohol, what cognitive dissonance is going on in your brain that has convinced you that you are making a healthy decision? Because I got to tell you something, tequila ain't the healthiest thing you can be consuming, all right? Um, And alcohol in general is not the healthiest thing that you can be uh, consuming. So what in this woman's thought process justified in her mind that choice that she was making to be out in a bar drinking alcohol, raising and lowering her mask so that she was healthy? She probably already had COVID. I don't know how anybody who's going out and about couldn't have already had COVID. But how do these brains get back to normal where you understand what the true risk factors are. I started hammering this years ago. Your kids have been in far greater danger of dying driving to and from school in the car with you than they have from COVID. If you had had a parent say, I'm so terrified of my kids dying in a car accident that I'm not letting them go to school, you might well have been uh, institutionalized. Certainly, you would have been ridiculed. Yet, if you were a parent saying, I'm so afraid of COVID, I'm not letting my kids go to school, somehow you were lionized in the left wing of this country. It's crazy. It's indefensible. It's pure madness. And yet, there doesn't appear to be a reckoning coming 
I'm not sure how we ever solve this. Uh, this is a big story. I try not to name shooters. I've been for years now not naming mass shooters because the data reflects that one of the things we could most do to cut down on the number of mass shooters is not make these people famous. So unless they are at large and people are trying to catch them, you will never hear me on OutKick naming a mass shooter. So we did have a mass shooting in Michigan State lately. And I do think it's instructive to go back over mass shootings, as you've heard me do for years, and say, okay, what happened here? How do we prevent this going forward? What we've seen with almost every mass shooter, by and large, and certainly with every violent criminal who is committing murder or extreme acts of violence, it's very rarely their first run-in with the law. Um, And that was certainly the case with the Michigan State shooter. In fact, the Michigan State shooter was not prosecuted to the full extent of the law because the prosecutor there was concerned with issues of racial equity. The Michigan State shooter was a black man, and the prosecutor in that case was concerned that if she prosecuted too many black alleged felons too aggressively, that it would lead to racial inequity. Let me tell you something. We got to stop this idea that we're changing the way we prosecute criminals based on what the rates of the criminals are, particularly as it pertains to charges of violence or gun violence. This guy, people always want to talk about, oh, we got to seize all the guns and everything else. Virtually every single mass shooting, leaving aside the shooting itself, which is clearly a violation of the law, the individuals almost always shouldn't have had possession of guns under existing laws and or they should have still been in prison or still been punished for what they're doing. And almost no one is going to discuss this with the Michigan State case. Bobby Barack wrote about it at OutKick. That campus shooting should have never happened. The individual who did it should have still been in prison and should have not had access to a gun. We have to stop this soft-on-criminal era. Being soft-on-criminals, particularly violent criminals, is a legacy of a low-crime environment, and we most certainly do not have now a low-crime environment. Uh, College football is talking about making some rule changes, and I want to make sure that I have got these for you. Uh, Because I have been arguing for a long time that there need to be college football changes uh, because there are broken aspects to how we watch games. Now, I've probably been to more college football games in more stadiums, uh, different stadiums, than I would say 99% of college football fans in America. I'm fortunate. I love my job. I've been to every SEC stadium. I've been to a lot of ACC, a lot of Big 12, uh, lots of Big 10, lots of Pac-12 stadiums. I've been all over the country. In fact, a good target for me, honestly, uh, would be to try to see a game in every Power 5 conference stadium at some point in time because, frankly, I've already knocked out probably well over half of them, I would bet. But, College football games often run on for too long. And some of you out there will remember that I have gone to war with the band over this before. I have said, 
look, I don't understand why we allow college football uh, t- uh, half times to be basically twice as long as NFL half times because that's not about the game itself. It's about allowing the band to come out and march around on the field for a few minutes. I have zero interest in watching the band. I understand that some of you love to watch the band. Once you come after the game and watch a band performance, once you come before the game and watch a band performance, I don't have any interest in the tradition of having the band march on the field at halftime. They're trying to shorten college football games so they're closer to the roughly three hours that it takes to play a uh, NFL game. And there are a lot of things they could do. I, I've been on this for a long time. Let me pause on the band. Charge twice as much and have half as many commercial breaks. Can somebody explain why this isn't possible? Limit the number of commercial breaks by half and then charge twice as much for the commercial breaks that do occur. I don't understand why that isn't possible. And that would make the games go infinitely faster. Again, half as many commercial breaks, charge twice as much, so you're ending up with the same revenue. That's my number one suggestion. Number two, do away with the band performance. That frees up about 10 minutes. Uh, college football half times are over 20 minutes. NFL halftimes are around 12 minutes. That would knock out almost 10 minutes because they actually don't start counting for a while. It's more like 22 or 23 minutes in college football. Watch the clock the next time you're at a game to see how long it takes them to start the 20-minute clock. Um, I also am okay with ending the rule that a clock stops on a first down. I've been in favor of this for a long time. I think you could still do it inside of the final two minutes to make two-minute drives a little bit easier. But I don't understand why the entire game you need to stop the clock for a first down. Uh, You could just allow the clock to continue to run. That would be my thought. My fourth suggestion would be make it so that the challenges in college football occur based on coaching decisions as opposed to arbitrarily stopping or not stopping the game as occurs now to allow a review to take place. I like the way the NFL does it. I think it's better. You can automatically review turnovers and touchdowns like they do in the NFL. Here's what the proposals are under consideration. This is according to Ross Dellinger at SI. Prohibit consecutive timeouts, i.e. icing kicks. I'm fine with that. Uh, No untimed down at the end of the first quarter and the third quarter. That's in the event of a penalty. That doesn't happen that often, but I'm fine with it, right? You would still need one at the end of the half or at the end of the game, uh, but it doesn't happen that often. Clock runs after first downs, except inside of two minutes and a half. I like that. Uh, And then clock runs on incompletions once the ball is spotted. I'm not even necessarily that much against that idea, uh, although I think it would be a fundamental alteration in the way we play the game right now. I don't understand why they can't take my ideas. Again, humbly, I think I'm one of the best deciders on the planet. You give me options, I'll make them. I'm not going to run from big band out there, all these people who try to say, well, without the band, college football, shut up. 
People come to watch college football games. The band can play in the stands. The band can play as teams march in and out of the stadiums. We don't need to see the band march around on the field. And if you do really want to see it, do it at the end of the game. Finish the game, clear the field, let the band perform. Hardly anybody would stay because they're there for the game, not the band. Uh, Finally, I saw this story and I thought, my goodness, you hear all the time how crazy and racist and awful the NFL is, right? Particularly as it pertains to black quarterbacks. This is one of the biggest lies that exists in all of sports. There is no racism, in my opinion, against black quarterbacks. It doesn't exist. If it did exist, then your team, by being not racist, would actually have a huge competitive advantage over everyone else. The best way to analyze this, in my opinion, is by salaries. And Deshaun Watson is a crazy story. Accused of sexual assault by 30 different women, the vast majority of whom were minorities, sits out a year because he demands that he be traded from the Houston Texans and then gets the biggest guaranteed contract from the Cleveland Browns in the history of football. The history of football. And I saw this tweet from Warren Sharp. Never before has an NFL player's cap hit exceeded $39 million in a single season. That all changes this year. I'm reading from Warren Sharp's tweet. Deshaun Watson will count $54,993,000 in 2023 the largest for any player in NFL history by $15 million. Watson will then cost the Browns $54.9 million every year all the way through 2026. The NFL is so racist that you can be charged with sexually assaulting 30 different women in a civil court you can then get a contract that pays you more than any player in the history of football that will lead to a cap hit of $54.9 million in 23, 24, 25, and 26, substantially more than any player has ever cost in the history of football since it began to be played. Deshaun Watson is a black quarterback. What matters there is his quarterback talent, not his race at all. Because if the NFL were truly biased, they wouldn't have made the highest paid player in the history of the game of football a guy who has been charged with sexual assault by 30 different women. Now, we can agree or disagree He did not get criminally charged. These were civil assaults. He paid out millions of dollars to settle these claims. My point here is pretty clear. All the NFL cares about is whether you can help a team win or not. Nothing else matters. Deshaun Watson is a perfect example of this. He's a black quarterback who is the highest paid in the history of the league despite 30 women accusing him of sexual assault. He has blown up, to a large extent, the Cleveland Browns salary cap 
to a degree that has never existed in the history of the NFL. If the NFL were racist, it's a crazy decision to be making. The NFL doesn't care about black, white, yellow, any other color. All they care about is green. If you make a team more likely to win, so long as they believe your your talents exceed your problems, they will pay you to the high heavens. Deshaun Watson proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. All right, I'll see you guys tomorrow. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I appreciate all of you for hanging out here with me. Thanks for all your support of Clay and Buck as well. Big announcement on a new talent acquisition at OutKick coming early tomorrow morning. Get your popcorn. People are going to be fired up as they always are. Thanks, y'all.